Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by AJC. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines and help you understand what it all means for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm Sefi Kogan. And I'm Manya Brashear-Pashman. Sherry Frank, who served for 26 years as the director of AJC's Atlanta office, was a close friend of civil rights icon Congressman John Lewis, who passed away last week. Together, Sherry and Congressman Lewis founded the Atlanta Black Jewish Coalition, which has emerged as a central platform for education, outreach, and advocacy to bring Black people and Jews together. Sherry joins us now to share some of her memories of this American giant. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. First, I just want to offer condolences. I I know that Congressman Lewis was a friend of yours. We've all lost a giant, but you've lost a friend. Thanks. I was hoping that we could start and you could tell us about where you first met John Lewis. I met John Lewis when I was the Southeast Area Director of the American Jewish Committee back in 1982 when we pulled together a group of Blacks and Jews to discuss the renewal of the Voting Rights Act. And we asked John to speak. It was really a meeting that just had immediate electricity. The Blacks and Jews in the room were excited to be together. They had enormous regard for John and for Jewish um, activist Cecil Alexander, who um, had introduced John. Instantly, the group said, let's work together. Let's form a coalition and ask John and Cecil if they would be the chairs. And that was the birth of the Atlanta Black Jewish Coalition. John continued to give leadership to that coalition until he was elected to Congress. And we insisted we give up the chair in 1986. So that was my introduction to my hero. Tell us a bit more about the Black Jewish Coalition. You told us about that first meeting where it kind of started, but what was the idea behind it? What are some of the projects that the coalition worked on? Right. The, um, we immediately created Stationery, and the title of the group was the Atlanta Black Jewish Coalition in support of the Voting Rights Act. That's, you know, where we started. So we did what coalitions do. We wrote letters to our Congress members and our senators. We met with the editorial board of the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, and we did programs of education. And within a year or two, the, the um, Voting Act was renewed. So then we just changed our stationery and it was just the Atlanta Black Jewish Coalition. And from there, we just did all kinds of things. We took up issues and we we were advocates for Martin Luther King holiday, for posthumous pardon for Leo Frank. We spoke out in support of hate crimes bill, of demasking the Klan in Georgia in terms of legislative work. We marched together. We marched in Forsyth County in this march against fear and intimidation just before the King holiday was to observe. We marched together on the 25th and 30th anniversary of the March on Washington. And we prayed together. You know, we were in each other's congregations. We had an amazing number of luncheon meetings. And my most memorable was in 1985 when we marched with John across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And the 20th anniversary was really before all of the congressional trips and the kind of the famous nature of that bridge. So, you know, we really got to know each other in personal ways and we spoke out for one another on issues, particularly when Farrakhan was spewing his hatred. John was very quick to denounce the anti-Semitism. In fact, he didn't even march in the Million Man March because of the words that Farrakhan had issued. 
I want to come back to that in a minute or two, actually. But earlier today, you spoke for an AJC Advocacy Anywhere program, which our listeners can find online at AJC.org slash Advocacy Anywhere and watch the tributes that Sherry gave and also several members of Congress who were founding members of the Black Jewish Congressional Caucus, along with John Lewis, gave. But Sherry, you you described Congressman Lewis just a few minutes ago as your hero. I would have to say, having listened to your story, that really he was a friend of yours. And, and I would hope that, that you could tell us now a little bit about how that friendship kind of blossomed, like some of the stories that you mentioned on the uh, Advocacy Anywhere uh, conversation. Everyone who talks about John talks about his humility. You know, what a genuine and caring person he was. And so outside of being a city council member and a a civil rights legend, John was just a wonderful human being. As I began to work with him, I began to know his wife, Lillian, who was also an active member of our coalition. Lillian and I became fast friends. And As we began to know each other's families, we realized my youngest son and her only son, my Drew and her John Miles, were born the same day. And we met in that year, their eight-year-old birthday, we had a party together. And as everybody knows, John's first successful run for Congress was against Julian Bond, another civil rights leader. And they were, were really in a very heated and contentious campaign. And Lillian and John worked 24 seven on the campaign. And I told Lillian, I work for a Jewish agency. The American Jewish Committee offices closes at three on Friday afternoon. And I'm a single (laughs) parent home with my kids. And I said, just let John Miles come spend the weekend with us. Well, you know, the entire summer passed. And every Friday, John Miles moved in. And every Sunday, tired, weary from the debates and the campaign trail, Lillian and John came and picked John Miles up. And John told my son that if he won that he would have him with him in Congress. And when John was sworn in, John Miles and my son were on each knee. And Lillian and I looked down from the gallery with all kinds of pride. I can only imagine. Just such a beautiful story. And and of course, that was in 86, or or I guess his swearing in would have been in 87. And there were several decades more of of your relationship and, and of his leadership. You know, speaking of that leadership, I think American Jews rightly idolize Congressman Lewis in the same way that all Americans should for his moral leadership in the civil rights movement and his decades of leadership in Congress. But like you were saying before, he was also incredible about caring for Jewish issues. He stared down the Soviet Union and demanded that they let Jews emigrate. He was a stalwart supporter of Israel. And I just learned this week, and and then you just mentioned a, a few minutes ago, that he actually boycotted Louis Farrakhan's Million Man March in 1995 because of Farrakhan's anti-Semitism. I mean, it's it's just incredible. Sherry, was that kind of affinity for Jews and Israel just in John's blood, or, or did you play a role in helping him along to those positions? You know, he tells the story, I hope I'm going to tell it right, but, but he had a hard time using the word Jew. He would always refer to us as the Jewish community or Jewish person. And he would tell the story when he grew up in rural Alabama, that he would hear people say the word Jew with such hate Mm. and venom in their mouth that it was such a negative way of responding to our community. So he could almost never say the word Jew. It was always Jewish because that filled his heart with love and admiration. And he, even to his dying day, he kept in touch with the families of Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner. He knew that blacks and Jews had died together working on the voting rights He knew that rabbis had marched with Dr. King. And in his years in Atlanta, 
he had so many close ties with our own rabbis in Atlanta. I tell this great story of when we marched in Selma for the 20th anniversary, Rabbi Alvin Sugarman at the temple asked us to have our bus leave from the temple to Selma rather than the King Center because he wanted to retell the story of the temple bombing in 1958. So we left on buses and Alvin, Rabbi Sugarman was at the crest of the bridge with the leaders of the civil rights movement the way Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel had done years ago. And Rabbi Sugarman tells the story of kneeling to pray as you can see in the film Selma. And with tears in his eyes, Rabbi Sugarman tells the story of how it felt looking down from the crest of the bridge as they were ready to march. And instead of saying police and billy clubs and fearing your lives, he saw the world's press celebrating this 20th commemoration, you know, how far we'd come in 20 years. So, you know, John lived and breathed the beloved community. You know, he always says black, white, straight or gay or, you know, Muslim, Christian, Jew, whatever. We're all one family. And he, he lived it. He lived it every day. He was a living legacy to the power of black Jewish relations and the black Jewish alliance. What do you think of the state of that relationship? today. We're seeing a number of African-American celebrities or, or sports figures um, say things um, about Jews that are, in the most charitable interpretation, they're, they're very challenging. Um, some of them are, are out and out anti-Semitic. What's the state of Black Jewish relations in, in 2020? Well, I always look at the glasses half full. So I, I really feel even in these crazy troubled times we're in, when racism and anti-Semitism and all forms of bigotry have raised their heads and, and white supremacy is such a threat that it really calls blacks and Jews to come together. And for most folks, it does. We always, the media raises, you know, the issues of the blacks that make terrible anti-Semitic stands. But I think we have to recognize there's racism in the Jewish community, there's anti-Semitism in the black community, but I believe those are the fringes and the isolated voices. And I have a tremendous amount of faith in this younger generation because they weren't raised like I was. I went to an all-white high school. You know, my whole world was white. The only African-Americans I knew were the people who worked in our houses. But today, people are in businesses together. They're in schools together. They're in communities together. They're in tennis leagues and, you know, whatever together. So I really feel that the future is strong. And, and also, when you even look at the Black Congressional Caucus as a model, there are people, you know, across this country, I believe, who really know the history. And if they don't know it well, they want to write a new chapter in the history because we can't survive in the polarized world that we're in. We are really, as John said, we may have come here in different boats, but we're all in the same boat together now. And, and I really believe that. John had such uh, stirring aphorisms like the one you just shared. Just before we close, uh, what's one other enduring message from John that you would want to leave our listeners with? Well, I, you know, I tell you, it was a privilege to speak at Lillian's funeral and, um, you know, a real sign of our friendship. But I spoke to John every couple of weeks through his treatment. I called all the time. I sent cookies in his beginning days of treatment before they said he needs to eat healthier. <laughs> but, uh, but I got a call from Michael Collins, his just beloved chief of staff, just five days before he died and said, come see John. I feel so blessed I got to sit with John and say, John, I love you. Goodbye. And I told him the story that many rabbis tell the story of you're born with one name. I said, John, you were born with John Robert Lewis. But the really important name is the name you earn in life. And you earn so many names, you know, hero, righteous, 
just a friend of the world. And I, and I ended by saying, but my friend shall always be the boy from Troy. And he smiled and I could see his eyes kind of close. And I walked away with a heavy heart, but really a very satisfied heart. Well, I'm, uh, I'm sure that you've, um, shed many tears in, in recent days. I'll admit I'm, uh, I'm choked up right now. I'm sure our listeners will be as well. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us and sharing those absolutely beautiful recollections from, uh, from the life of a beautiful man. Thank you for having me. Now it's time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. And joining us at our Shabbat Table this week is Dove Wilker, the director of AJC Atlanta and AJC's director of Black Jewish Relations. Dove, when you're talking with your family at your Shabbat Table this weekend, what are you going to be talking about? Thank you, Steffi. So this Shabbat, my family and I will be reflecting on the Southern history of Black Jewish relations and what it means for us today. As we were driving back to Atlanta last week from vacation, we passed the sign for John Lewis Freedom Parkway on the interstate. My daughters had spent the morning hearing me speak with friends, family, and colleagues about the passing of the late great Congressman John Lewis. I was fortunate to have met and worked with the Congressman on a number of occasions throughout my nearly 15 years in Atlanta. But it's not just the Atlanta history that I will share with them. It's my family history that is a part of that story too. My parents met in Atlanta as college students, my father at Georgia Tech, my mother at Emory University. They were part of a small group of Jewish students that were able to study at those schools. And they were there during the desegregation of those schools. My father from New York was a little bit of a rebel rouser and my mother from Savannah, Georgia had grown up during segregation but both lived with the reality of the civil rights movement. About eight years ago, AJC Atlanta hosted a 30th anniversary program for the Atlanta Black Jewish Coalition, where Congressman Lewis was going to be in attendance. I remember calling my father and sharing with him the idea for the program, and he said, we'll be there. A few weeks later, when the program took place, my parents showed up, having driven directly from New Jersey to the location for where the program was taking place. He told me that he met John Lewis on a number of occasions, but he hadn't actually had the chance to meet him as an adult. At the end of the program, when my father got a chance to shake John Lewis's hand, there were tears in his eyes. He cared so deeply for civil rights that it was so important for him to have this opportunity to see John Lewis at least one more time. And that impacted my entire family because my brothers and I all growing up had our own different advocacy experiences with my father. Fast forward to modern day Atlanta, I find myself with my two daughters living in a city where history surrounds us every single day. We can visit easily the MLK historic site, walk the streets of Sweet Auburn, pray at the temple, which was bombed for its involvement in the civil rights movement, and share stories and hear from our family and friends about what they were doing during the tumultuous times of the 60s. But what's so important to me is that my daughters know their family history too. My mother, being from Savannah, Georgia, had family and friends that owned stores in the black community. My uncle, was the chair of the Chatham County School Board when they desegregated the school. So it's not just about hearing from John Lewis that will be impactful for them on a TV show like Arthur. What's important for me to be able to share with my daughters is not just their family history or that they know who John Lewis is. It's they understand the importance of being active in their community. It's being able to see that over the past four months, as COVID has reared its ugly head, they've been participating on many of the programs and conversations that we've had. The term Black Jewish relations might be second nature to them now, for which I'm grateful, but it's important that we continue to provide context for them. So as we sit at our Shabbat table with freshly baked challah and a beautiful Shabbat meal, they'll understand that there's more to our community 
than just being Jewish, but rather we have a responsibility to act and support others. Manya, what will you be sharing at your Shabbat table? Thank you so much, Deb, for that reflection. And I really envy that you got to meet John Lewis yourself. I did not have that opportunity, but I was truly struck by how many of my friends within minutes of the news reports of Congressman Lewis's death posted photos, selfies, and even personal letters from him on social media. I mean, so many of them. My husband said, well, what else could I expect from a man in public service for more than 50 years? But well, maybe I don't expect much anymore, but Congressman Lewis, he actually delivered. His method of public service was really getting out there and personally interacting with the public. We've talked a lot about his friendship and support for the Jewish community, but I saw selfies from evangelical Christian, Asian American, LGBTQ gatherings. I saw photos of him at the Atlanta airport to protest the so-called Muslim ban. And of course, there have been some terrific photos of him at Comic-Con leading children in a march across the San Diego Convention Center. One friend posted a picture of a letter from Lewis in response to an inquiry his son made in elementary school as part of a black history project. You have the power to make a difference in the world no matter how old you are, Lewis wrote. Keep standing up, speaking up, and speaking out against injustice. And he invited his son to send in his black history project for review. Years later, that letter hangs framed on his son's bedroom wall. You know, I find it rather poignant Mr. Lewis passed at a time when people have been talking about tearing down statues, erasing names from monuments, and who they're going to vote against in the upcoming election. Now, thanks to Mr. Lewis, people are talking about building up instead of tearing down. Some want to see the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, renamed for Mr. Lewis. Some have suggested erecting a statue of Mr. Lewis to replace Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Square. And there's a petition circulating to make Super Tuesday a federal holiday named for Mr. Lewis, a giant in the fight for voting rights, as we know. Even the great-great-granddaughter of Edmund Pettus has said renaming that historic bridge where Lewis almost lost his life would finally put it on the right side of history. You know, I have to wonder what Lewis would say about all this fuss. In his autobiography, Walking with the Wind, he wrote about how his mentors urged him to seize more of the spotlight in the civil rights struggle. It's always seemed to me that the people who are fed by and who focus on visibility and notoriety and getting the credit don't have what you might call staying power, he wrote. The work you do, the things you accomplish, that's what endures, and that's what really means something. You can hear his voice reading those words. In this age, when everyone is vying for social media influence and moving on to the next cause for justice, staying power is a really hard lesson to teach. But Lewis, Mr. Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, taught it so well. Sefi? I would bet that our listeners are familiar with the stories of when Jews stood by John Lewis. Those stories begin with Abraham Joshua Heschel marching in Selma in 1965. They include the Freedom Riders and the Voting Rights Amendment and the March on Washington. But how many people are familiar with the stories of when John Lewis stood by the Jews? They are no less inspiring. As a leader in the Congressional Caucus for Soviet Jewry just after arriving in Congress in 1987, John Lewis stood up at a conference in Moscow and said to the leaders of the Soviet Union, quote, I will not be satisfied, will not be patient, as long as a Jew cannot be Jewish in his own country. 
Later that same year, at the Freedom Sunday March for Soviet Jews that AJC organized on the National Mall, and that drew a quarter of a million people, he addressed the crowd, saying, quote, 25 years ago, I marched here in Washington to focus the nation's attention on the injustices and the oppression of segregation. Many of my Jewish friends were with me then, and today I am proud to take part in your march for freedom for your people who are oppressed in the Soviet Union. Congressman Lewis was also an outspoken opponent of anti-Semitism in any form. When the notorious anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the Nation of Islam, organized the Million Man March in 1995, hundreds of thousands of black people showed up, but not John Lewis. Congressman Lewis wrote in Newsweek that the march was, quote, fatally undermined by its chief sponsor, and that it was against what I have worked for. Tolerance, inclusion, integration. Especially today, as too many celebrities continue to celebrate the hate monger Farrakhan, and too few people of conscience are prepared to condemn him outright, John Lewis's moral leadership stands out. And lastly, though really there are infinite stories of John Lewis standing by the Jews, Congressman Lewis was a staunch supporter of the U.S.-Israel relationship, traveling to Israel several times, voting to support Israel and provide Israel with defense spending, voting to condemn the BDS movement. Even when he differed with Israel on policy, he never shrank from his love for the country, or for that matter, from his love for Jewish people, wherever they were whether they were his constituents in Atlanta or Jews trapped in the Soviet Union or Jews in Israel. Yehi zichro baruch, may the memory of John Lewis be a blessing. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Kukong Do. Our assistant producer is Atara Lakritz. And our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.